in any given congregation, there are people that need God to do something in their life and their finances and their family. And I'm sure that that is the case tonight. And I know God is concerned about you. He loves you. He knows what you're facing, what you're dealing with. And he is right there. If you wonder why God didn't just step in and intervene, if he did that all the time, we'd never be able to go through anything. But we are strong, resilient uh, people because we have been through the fire. We've been through the flood. been through trying situations, and we've come out the other side, haven't we? And you'll come through this as well. Isaiah 66, a voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Look around and just wave at somebody before you sit down. You shake their hands, smile at them real big. <clears throat> Whisper to them everything's going to be all right. 72 years old. I wish he was running it. <clears throat> so I want to talk to you tonight about something that uh, on the surface may appear like I'm only speaking to uh, those who have a call to one of the fivefold ministries tonight, but that's not the case. Uh, there are many different ministries within the work of God and the body of Christ. So I'm going to talk about birthing a ministry and herein lies a principle that applies uh, to <clears throat> other spiritual endeavors and other spiritual pursuits such as birthing the miraculous, such as birthing a move of God or birthing revival. There are many different venues in the spirit that will require a birthing process. Many people solely rely upon the gift that God bestows upon them, or perhaps it's referred to many times as a calling uh, that comes from God, but there's much more to consider uh, beyond the initial gift or the initial calling. Matthew 22:14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. That's, there's a there's a dichotomy here that many are called. Why are only a few chosen? I think there are probably uh, a lot of reasons why many are called, but only a few are actually chosen that will engage that ministry or that calling. And I've actually seen people abort uh, the ministry that they were called to, and I can only assume that uh, there are a lot of reasons why this happens, but one of the reasons is because uh, uh, they didn't know that while ministries require a call from God, giftedness from God, there is still a birthing process that must take place. I think there's a lot of young men and young women that charge into the ministry, and they have no idea that they have to birth that ministry. God doesn't give something to you in a mature uh, form. He gives it to you in, a, in raw material, so to speak, and it's up to us to birth that particular gift or ministry. A perfect illustration of this is something that uh, is kind of, we've just come through the season uh, dealing with the a birth of Christ, celebrating Christmas, Bethlehem, and all of that. So I wanted to defer to the story of the Virgin Mary because herein lies this, this illustration perfectly. 
Luke chapter 1, 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth <clears throat> to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name, of course, was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Proponents of pro-life believe that life begins at conception. I am among those that believe that life begins in the womb at the exact moment of conception. I know many people in this room, perhaps all of you, believe the same thing. Uh, a little biology here uh, may help us put things into perspective. The miracle of life, while it begins in the womb, it is a result of a reaction that takes place between two very small entities, a, an egg and a sperm. Human DNA consists of 46 chromosomes, and it is that the female egg has 23 chromosomes, and the male sperm, the kids are gone, so we can talk about it, has 23 chromosomes, and when they come together, they form 46 chromosomes, which is uh, what is required for human DNA. Now, uh, this is the beginning of the life of a person. And much the same thing occurs uh, in various venues of the Spirit, including gifts and callings of God. That act of conception was not the, the uh, completed process. It was the beginning of the process. I remember the night I had been uh, ignoring, not ignoring, I'd been refusing to acknowledge and accept <clears throat> the call from God. And I remember the night, I worked nights, and so I was trying to get a couple hours sleep before going to work. And my wife went to Bible study, and Lord wouldn't let me sleep. It was like I had itching powder all over me. I had to call the pastor and tell him, okay, I'm called. And I felt like if I did, God would give me some relief. I the Lord was tired of putting up with me, uh, waiting, so he just gave me this insatiable itch. I called the church, and he wasn't there. He was downtown St. Louis at a meeting. But simply because I made the effort, God says, all right, I'll let you off tonight. And he gave me a break. But that was just the beginning, the very, very beginning of of something that would have to be developed and something that would have to be birthed. And no one can discount or deny the importance and the necessity of divine involvement. Anybody, I'm going to tell anybody that, that claims that, that all of this that happens in the womb is just an act of evolution, that it just evolved on its own, it seems like the smartest people have the dumbest ideas. And it's the smart people out there that, that believe in this garbage. And so I, I heard Brother Morton Bustard. If you never heard him preach, he's a prophet, incredible guy. I heard him preach the other night. And uh, he was preaching in De Quincey, Louisiana. And he made the statement. He said, I, I need God every time I come to this pulpit. I need God every single time. At no point do you believe or realize or think that you can do any of this on your own. It is a, a divine process that requires God every step of the way. And so even though there is a divine conception that takes place, a divine impartation, a divine giving of a gift or a calling into a particular ministry, it remains the responsibility of the individual whom God calls to carry this conception to full term and then to give birth to it. Gabriel told Mary these exact words. He said, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. 
It is notable from this account that while Gabriel, this archangel, informed Mary that she would conceive in her womb, it was up to her. It was all up to her to bring this uh, child that was going to be conceived in her womb, uh, to bring it forth, to give birth to the Son of God, the Son of Man, just as the angel promised. Now, let me say something about God's promises. Just because God promised you something doesn't mean you stop praying about it. Doesn't mean you stop pursuing it. A lot of people think, well, God promised it. I don't have to do anything. No, God wants us to pursue the things that he promised us. God promised me our son would be saved. Doesn't mean I quit praying for him. I pray for him even more, even harder, because God made the promise. His promise is based on years of intercession from his mother and I. Don't stop praying for your prodigal children. So while God would do his part in Mary, as the angel said that he would, make no mistake about it, his part is both miraculous and his part is absolutely 100% essential. Nevertheless, Mary, you've got something to do after this conception takes place. You've got to carry this child to full term and give birth to it. Luke chapter 1, verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Good question, Mary. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So by confirmation by proclamation, by declaration of Gabriel, the archangel, God fully expected Mary to do her part. He fully expected Mary to give birth to the Christ child, and so there is an expectation that rests upon everyone to whom God calls into any form or area of ministry there's an expectation from God that we're not just going to sit on this thing. We're not just going to observe this. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do something with it. We're going to take this gift, take this thing that God has conceived in our heart, our mind, our spirit, and we're going to carry it under full term and to give birth to it. In other words, God invests himself in us and then, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, we must invest ourselves in what he gives us. And to those within whom God has conceived, even the smallest kernel of ministry, if I can put it that way, uh, he's expressing an expectation. I wonder sometimes, uh, we talk about us expecting we go to the house of God, we go to a prayer meeting, we, we come expecting. I wonder if God's the one that really is here expecting. And we, we don't even think about what are you expecting from the people of God on a Thursday night midweek service? What are your expectations for each of us and the gifts and callings and the anointing and the spirit of God that is within us? What kind of expectation does he have of us? There's no question that within Mary was the greatest miracle of all time, uh, and yet she had to birth that miracle. In her womb was the potential for the greatest sacrifice and the greatest manifestation of grace that the world had seen or would ever see, but for the next nine months, the burden rested solely upon her to bring it into the world, and you really can't see any divine hand of God on Joseph and Mary during that nine months. You really can't detect, we, we can't really visualize anywhere that God sanctioned some special uh, dispensation of grace that they didn't just float over the next nine months and land in Bethlehem and bring forth the Christ child. I'm afraid that some of God's people view revival as some spontaneous sovereign sentinel move of God. All we do is sit back, cross our legs, and wait until it arrives. 
and that someday we're going to get up not knowing that's the day that all hell's going to be bound and heaven's going to open up and, and uh, we won't even be able to get on our parking lot because there will be so many people that are here. And I think that's what a lot of people of God believe that that's going to sometime happen and that we don't have to invest in that revival at all. It's already set. It's already declared. It's already going to happen. And let's just wait and anticipate its arrival. I am not among those that believe that. I will not stand before you and deny that there are sovereign moves of God that do occur, but rarely do they occur without much prayer and without consecration. All great revivals, all powerful moves of God that are sustained for any length of time. All anointed ministries are painstakingly birthed. If you want to know the success of the, of the Pentecostals of Alexandria, go back and see that they prayed 24 hours a day for the last 40 years. And they did it before they had two or 3,000 people. These things do not just appear... Uh, the Bible says, as soon as Zion travailed, I believe there's, there's more to this than just reading it. As soon as Zion, was it sitting there waiting on Zion? Because as soon as she travailed, she brought forth her children. Zion was a fortress. It represented the, the strength of Israel, the impregnable strength of Israel. Yet Z Zion travailed, and then she brought forth her children. I'm talking about some things that God wants to do on the other side of travail. They're going to have to be birthed. And I know we want to see these things and partake of them. And I know that there's world-changing potential that has been conceived in each and every one of us that are here. There is world-changing potential that has been conceived in this church, this congregation, this group of people. We will never know what it is until we birth it. Until we birth it. Now, I... I have no idea what you mothers have went through giving birth to your children. I do know that if it was up to us guys, there would the population would die with us. I can assure you that. We have the greatest amount of respect for every mother. But it's just it's just an illustration of what it's going to take to birth ministries and to birth revival. The conversation between Mary and Gabriel continued in Luke 136. Uh, Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible she conceived in her old age nothing being impossible I, I refuse to look in the direction of my wife when I'm reading these things <laughs> nothing is impossible with God ladies and gentlemen the Bible that we read is is real the miracles that took place in the lives of people in the Bible they really happen. God really wants to do those kinds of things among us. Our church has been in existence since 1960. So we are, what, six, in our 63rd year of existence. I would say that by, by terms of natural age, we are past the flower of our age. I think it's time that this whole congregation has revival. I think it's time that God brings children to this congregation because nothing is impossible with God. So let it be known here that the angel was referring in this statement directly to the act of divine conception, divine conception, divine conception. 
you know what we need to do Saturday night? We need to burst some things, and we need to come with open hearts and believe that God can, can plant some seed inside of our heart and mind so we can begin believing for some things that are beyond our imagination. So the implications of what happened there and what the angel said to her apply to everything. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And it's very important to note that Mary consented to this. She didn't balk. She didn't argue. She didn't hiccup. She didn't, she didn't shuffle her feet. She didn't say, I need to think about it for a while. She consented to what the angel told her God wanted to do in her. I can't say that I gave my consent right off the bat. I don't think God makes anybody preach the gospel or enter into ministry if they absolutely refuse. God wants us to consent to his will. And she consented to everything that the angel said unto her. Uh, and uh, so do a lot of people when they're initially called. I mean, I was just thinking about it. This year, is, this spring will be 46 years uh, since I received my license in the United Pentecostal Church. And if I knew then what we were going to face, would we have made the same consent? I hope that we would. There's a reason why God doesn't tell you everything. You know, I, I stood in our pastor's office, and the assistant pastor and his wife, which were relatives of theirs, were, he, Brother Harpole was in the uh, office, and they were going to take a church uh, in Troy, Missouri. And I stood there while they had a conversation, and Brother Harper walked out, and I walked over to the pastor. Said, Why would anybody want to pastor a church? See, God was, God was paying attention to what I said. I had no idea that that's what I was called to. Uh, so we don't know. But there is an issue of consent that is so very important. Nevertheless, once we consent then we must also birth that ministry. But conception and consent is a lot different than birthing. Once it got out that Mary was with child, there was a strong and virulent uh, uh, and social stigma that followed her everywhere that she went. I'm sure that uh, it infected friends, family. Uh, she wasn't able to walk through the marketplace without whispers people looking at her and, and accusing her of uh, immorality, initially embarrassed and uh, disturbed, disappointed, hurt, I'm sure, that the love of his life was pregnant before their marriage. Joseph, his intent was to quietly get the engagement annulled. He wasn't willing to make her a public example, so the Bible says he was going to put her away privily. Uh, but then something happened, Matthew chapter 1 and 19. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Just like she said, she shall bring forth a son, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, then Joseph being raised from sleep, dead as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took unto him his wife. I guess the question would be, after reading that, is why was it necessary to read it? Why is that relevant even to 
the subject of birthing. I believe it's relevant because it demonstrates something about the process. It demonstrates the reality that God will not shield us from the struggles and from the challenges and from the misconceptions that may occur uh, when we are called or gifted into some kind of ministry as we pursue ministry. You'd think that, uh, that everything would, would be perfect, you know. I've heard people say, well, if it's God's will, the door will open. Where in the Bible do you get that from? Men and women of God have struggled against obstacles and, and things through the entire history of man to fulfill the will of God. And so it is, I think, that a lot of people assume that a calling from God or uh, the pursuit of something that's perceived to be God's will be accompanied by calm seas. We'll tell the disciples that on the, on the Sea of Galilee when the storms came up. You'd think the Lord say, my, my disciples need a good night rest. Let's have calm seas tonight. No, they need to learn something about ministry on the way over uh, to Gadara. So anyone who has read and studied the Bible knows that uh, the concept of everything's going to just work out perfectly is a false assumption. So while God took care of the questions, the concerns, the, the doubts, and so on within Joseph, but in the minds of everybody else, Mary was still carrying a bastard son, and they had to live with that stigma. They carried it. Even after Jesus was born, there were people that never believed the story of the Holy Ghost and divine conception. They carried that uh, all the way through her pregnancy and, and, and for years after Jesus was born. They even, they even accused Jesus of being an illegitimate son. The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees did. Persisted for decade after decade after decade. So don't expect that everything's going to just work out really great and smooth and everything's going to be cool. It's God's will. He's going to just sweep in and, and sweep all the obstacles out of the way and open doors and Remember the story of missionaries years ago, they were called to some place in Canada and it took two or three years because uh, it's out of the country through the foreign mission board. They finally got approved and got deputation, got everything done. They had their truck packed up. They're on their way up there. On their way up there, they got in a snowstorm. The truck turned over. Uh, they weren't where they were supposed to be yet. Truck turned over. Turned out where the truck turned over was where God wanted them and that's where they started to work. I mean, you just don't know. You just go with God, and God will take you where he wants you to go. We have no way of knowing whether Mary knew the exact moment she conceived of the Holy Ghost. Uh, eventually, however, she knew with certainty she was with child. I mean, I, again, I don't know if the, that instant she realized, but maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But sooner or later, she knew that she was pregnant. And every day thereafter, her body made her aware that there was a child growing within her. And I took the liberty of looking up to see the changes that take place in a woman during pregnancy. My lands, goodness gracious. It was the woman that ate the fruit of the tree and gave to the man. I mean, but in sorrow shall you bring forth children. It is part of that, believe it or not, it is, is part of the curse. But my gosh, ladies, I have the utmost respect for you. The changes, the hormone, the everything that goes on. God help you for what you go through and what you have went through. And, and some of you that are way past that are really glad for that. Children are grown. Enjoy your grandchildren. That's all I can tell you. So as a woman, she knew the only way that she's going to get this child uh, out of her is through travail conception of the miracle that was inside of her was one thing, but birthing the miracle is something else. Standing up in a service and acknowledging God called me to preach last week. Woo, everybody goes nuts. Oh, my God, we're happy for you. Everybody patting on your back, praying for you. That's cool. The worst is yet to come. I don't mean it in a negative sense. That's cool. That's good. That's exciting. But that's just the beginning. That's the moment of conception. So if you're expecting to birth a powerful 
and then anointed ministry, if you're expecting to birth a revival or a move of God or anything supernatural without pain, you're going to be sadly disappointed. The excitement of the possibility and potential of what God had conceived within you must be grounded by an acknowledgement that it's now up to you. It's now on you to bring it into existence. The stark reality of this is that it's only by travail. So what are you talking about, Bishop? I'm talking about travail. I'm talking about going into a room and staying there until you reach the throne of God, no matter how long it takes. I'm talking about laying things aside because they're not important in comparison to what God is calling you to do. I'm talking about sacrificing things, sacrificing your body, sacrificing things that you want, things you like to do, places you like to go. I'm talking about pain, the pain of bringing this thing into existence, bringing this child, this baby, this calling, this ministry, this move of God, this revival into existence. That's the reality of it. Only by travail will it take on the life that God intended for it to have. Perhaps you're wondering to whom I'm speaking tonight. I'm not speaking to anybody in particular. I'm not addressing this to anyone. I never felt like in preparation for this that I was speaking to anyone in particular. We have a young man and woman that's preparing in a few months to go to the mission field as Amers. I'm not, I didn't come here to talk to you necessarily tonight. And, and uh, there's five-fold ministry, but there are other ministries and helps and governments within the church. And I believe God wants to call every one of his people into some form of ministry within the body of Christ. So I'm not just speaking to anybody in particular. Perhaps I'm talking to all of us. And what God wants to do is somewhere beyond our perception. It's somewhere beyond what we have perceived it to be. But what is the travail of which we speak? Psalms 48, 1 through 8, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. The pain of these kings that is mentioned in this psalm that were assembled outside of the gates of Zion was comparable to that of a woman in travail. And it caused them to fail in their assault upon the city of the great king because the pain was too great. The pain was too much for them to bear. The conquest was not worth it. The anointing was not worth it. The revival was not worth it. And so they hasted and they faded away because of the pain of travail. Likewise, many attempt to break through into fortresses where the anointing of God is kept under heavy guard only until they begin to feel the pain necessary for such an assault. And unfortunately, that is where many retreat into mediocrity. Fight the good fight of faith. Remain steadfast and faithful until your hand cleaves to the sword. Refuse at all costs to relinquish any ground to the enemy, but when it is all said and done, an anointed ministry must be birthed. You will not find it at the gates of hell. 
You'll not find it when devils flee from you. You'll not find it on the battlefield waging war against the powers of darkness. You will find it when you're in travail. We're quick to seize upon the story of David. Rah, rah, killed a lion, killed a bear, slew Goliath and, and, and cut his head off with his own sword. But everything in the spirit is not gained with sword and spear. What we cannot gain in battle must be birthed in the spirit. Revival churches are not built. They are birthed. Intercession and travail. John 12, 24, Jesus addressed this process, but he used a completely different illustration. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, if it die, notice if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. A corn of wheat, of course, is very small. Within lies great potential. But in spite of its potential, if it's not placed in the ground and allowed to die, while it will remain intact, it will do so alone, and it will not bring forth the fruit that God intended. So regardless of how impregnated a people are with divine purpose and potential, this same people must birth that into existence. Could it be that Sundays are the moments of conception of faith when faith is born in hearts and minds, when possibility emerges from praise and prayer and worship. And we consummate those things at an altar of prayer when God wants us to leave impregnated by possibility. And it's not what takes place in the 15, 20, or 30 minutes at the altar. It's what emerges outside of this facility, outside of this building. Musicians, you can join me on the platform. Why is it so important to God that we birth ministries and moves of God? I only ask the question or pose the question to you because I've pondered it myself. The Galatian church was apparently started by the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. If you've studied or read the epistles, you know that uh, Paul did three missionary journeys and each of them uh, times were very harsh. I mean, he endured just incredible things in order to I have the privilege of preaching the gospel. And so having started the church, birthed the church in Galatia, he had great affection not only for Galatia but for all of the cities and churches and people that he had uh, visited on his missionary journeys. But he learned, discovered, uh, that the church in Galatia had become infected with false doctrine and was on the verge of complete collapse. He was obviously very disappointed, very disturbed by that. Uh, so he immediately sat down and wrote a letter, or what we refer to as an epistle, to the Galatians. Uh, his intent was to appeal to anyone in the Galatian church that still possessed a modicum of truth so that they could right the ship. So he writes in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, I marvel. Notice that very early in his letter, I mean, he didn't waste time getting to the point. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, 
which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That's a very strong word. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, we being the apostles, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. There's that accursed word again. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, these words uh, were an attempt by the Apostle Paul to save this great church from destruction. Uh, it wasn't any, everything he would do to save this church, but it was words that he hoped that they would receive in their heart and mind. But then he said something in his epistle in the what we refer to the fourth chapter. It wasn't broken into chapters until around the 1200s. Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I mean, he could have wrote the epistle, wrote the letters, said, I've done my part. I've done everything I can do. Now, take this letter to the Galatians and make sure they read it publicly uh, to all members of the Galatian church, and I've, done, I've washed my hands of it. I've done everything I can do, and, and, and it's done. I'm free of responsibility, but that's not what Paul did. He said, I'm going to travail in birth again. I'm going to go back to prayer. I'm going to go back to the place where I birthed the church in the first place. And I'm going to begin travailing on your behalf again. And I'm going to prevail. And I'm going to travail for you until you are back on solid doctrinal foundation. I'm going to travail until. I'm not just going to pray a little bit and hope that everything works out. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to give birth to this church again. And this perfectly illustrates why God requires people to birth ministries, to birth churches, to birth revivals, and to birth other great things in the spirit. Because God demands that we are completely, totally, and utterly invested in the work that he calls us to do. And the only way we can reach that is by giving birth to it. Birthing it. Had Paul not been so deeply invested in the Galatian church, he may not have even bothered writing them a letter. Chapter 135, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore also that holy thing. I've always found that fascinating. The angel called the Christ child, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. When you birth something in the spirit, that holy thing is part of of you. It came out of you. It's not just something God imparted to you. It's not just something God gave you. It's not any longer merely a gift. It is literally a part of your life, a part of your soul. You carry it within you, and only by travail will you uh, hold it one day in your arms. Only by travail will you one day see it take on life. May it become exactly what God intended for it to be. And so Paul gave his blood, sweat, and tears in birthing the church in Galatia. He was not about to let it go into apostasy without doing everything in his power to save it from ruin. You can stand with me tonight. When you give birth to something, it will not just be an object that you can lay down. I don't want to be negative, but in the 40, nearly 49 years we've been in church, we've seen a lot of people walk away from this. We've seen a lot of ministers walk away from churches and ministries, some of them highly anointed and blessed. 
but you don't abandon your children. You will never walk away from that which you birth in the spirit. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how tough it gets, no matter how many devils come against you, that's why you've got to birth this. God knows this is, you've got to own this. And the only way you can do it, I can, I can give you this little gift, you, this little medallion called the gift or whatever, you can carry it around, but that's not going to be the same as that which you birth through your own travail and you birth in the spirit through personal exertion. Gabriel could have handed Mary a baby. Listen, God can do anything. Gabriel could have said, here, Mary, takes this little baby, shelter it, raise it, uh, love this child. This is the son of God, the son of the highest. God didn't choose that for her, and he doesn't choose that for us either. If you've been called to any kind of ministry within the body of Christ, it may seem like a big thing, and it is. I don't want to diminish the importance of it, but it's not the thing that God intends for it to be. It's a thing. It's a holy thing. It's a powerful thing, but it's not the thing that God wants it to be, and it won't be until you give birth to it. Genesis chapter 30, I'll just tell you without reading the scripture, uh, Rachel was barren, could not have children. She became very desperate. She went to her husband and said unto him, give me children or else I die. The Bible says Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, oh my God, I can't, God, I can't do that. So she was so desperate to give birth to her own children, she cried out to Jacob. And while this angered Jacob, apparently it moved God because she ended up bringing forth Joseph and Benjamin into the world. The Bible speaks of other women that were barren. Sarah was barren. Hannah was barren. Elizabeth was barren. Uh, mother of Samson, the wife of Manoah, she was barren. They all yearned for a child, cried out to God. God gave them their desire. They conceived, and each one of them, even though they conceived, had to give birth to those children. Unlike them, ladies and gentlemen, we are not barren. We are pregnant with revival. God has impregnated us with revival. We have been impregnated with gifts and callings of God. There are anointed men and women of God in this room. But I'm going to tell you right now, get off the soapbox where you're waiting for God to come down and do something. You have got to birth that. You've got to bring that forth. You've got to groan until it takes on life. You've got to groan until it emerges out of you and becomes the thing that God has desired it to be. Will it be easy? No. Not supposed to be easy. David said, I will not offer praise to God of something that doesn't cost me anything. If God just came down here and bestowed all of this on us, it wouldn't mean 10 cents to us. But when you give birth to it, you'll fight for it. You'll fight to the last breath. You'll hold on to the last minute. You'll not give up. You'll not give in. You will hold on until that thing is born and God manifests himself in that ministry, in that calling, in that revival. Let's lift our hands right now. Come on, God wants you to give birth to that that he has put in you. He wants this church to give birth to that which he has put in us. There is hope that's breathing in us. It's alive within us. But we got to bring it out. We got to get it out of us. Bring glory to We got to give birth to it. And bless your heart. It's been a long time. I know it has, but don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't succumb to the waiting game. God wants you to travail, to birth, to bring it.
put your hands in the world are trying to kill you. You just stay in there. God is going to bring this to pass. God is going to bring this to pass. You're the one we're living for. of Mary's conception, one angel shows up. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's head angel. But when she gave birth, the sky was full of angels. You want to see God move? Give birth to that ministry. Give birth to it. Whatever Whatever angel was present when God called you or gifted you, there will be angels that will break forth when you begin to birth that ministry. That's the difference between conception and travail. And a heavenly host showed up. <laughs> There was no move of God in that stable. The king of kings was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. But angels showed up and said, hey, shepherds, get down there because something has just been born into the world and you need to be a part of it. When you birth revival, there will be people walking the doors of our church that will say, God told me to get down there. Something's been born in that church. Something's been born in that building. Something's been born among those people, and I want you to be a part of it. Come on. Come on, get this. God wants you to get this. God wants you to get this. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Stop relying on your natural ability. travail until it's manifest in your spirit.
Nobody cares about our fellowship card or our ministerial license. All they need and want is to hear an anointed word from God. I'm going to have a word from the Lord for every preacher in this room. The next time you come to this pulpit, you make sure you walk up here in the spirit. It don't matter how many years you've been teaching, you've been preaching, it has nothing to do with it. If you can't speak without speaking in tongues, you don't belong here. you got to pray until the unction's on you and you walk into this pulpit and it's not you, it's not flesh, it's just not what you've studied. It is the anointing of the spirit of God that's on you. You're going to burst something in the Holy Ghost. You're going to birth a move of God when that happens. You're going to birth a revival when that happens. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. It's something that emerges that's not of man. It's not of flesh. It's of God. We just rely too much on our own ability. And it. If you have to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, the Sunday you speak, you get up and you make sure you walk into the pulpit anointed. You make sure you walk into the pulpit, not your agenda, not, not your opinion. You walk in here with an anointing from God. You're going to burst something in the spirit. If you got to get up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, I don't care what time it is, you make sure when you walk in the doors of this church, you're walking on air. You're walking in the spirit. When you come to the pulpit, you come having birth something that morning. Doesn't matter how long you study, what kind of revelation God gave you, if you're not anointed, it won't matter anyway. My God, my God, my God. Well... Come on, let it go. Come on, let it go. Let it go. Pray till your stomach hurts. Pray till you lose your voice. We gotta bypass all natural channels to get into the spirit. God wants you to know what he's put inside of you. He wants you to understand what is inside of this church.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you're getting it. I believe you received the word tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you. When the high priest would go into the holiest of holies on the Day of Atonement, there was a very elaborate procedure he would follow, and uh, he would offer a bullock for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And I mean, just the procedure involved the shedding of blood and an altar on the brazen altar of fire. And, and, but before he went through the veil, he had to take all of those garments off. He, he could not pass through the veil having done that with all of this blood on his garments and everything. I think that we need to take our armor off when we go to the throne. You don't need the armor on when you're in the court of God. We need to understand when we come into his presence, we, we have to come holy and clean. We've got to take all this other stuff off and enter into the court of God. I told Chrissy last week, spiritual warfare is essential, but it cannot consume your existence Go ahead and put on the armor, fight the good fight of faith, kick the devil around, wield the sword, hold the shield, stand fast in the faith. But when you go into the court of God, you don't need all of that stuff. Understand as you approach him how holy he is. You're reading the book on prayer. You're going to read about intimacy with God if you're reading the book. And I think we have lost that. And over the next couple weeks, let's renew and revive our intimacy with God. There'll be plenty of time to fight devils and deal with darkness and all of that stuff. Let's approach the court of God with reverence and awe and fear. And God will receive you. And when you emerge from there, you will come out of the court of God and the presence of God with a fresh perspective. I think it's time we start seeing what God is seeing. 
instead of the way we perceive things to be. God, help us with that. Lift your hands one more time. Thank you, Jesus, for visiting us tonight and for confirming your word. Thank you for the awesome presence of God that is in this place and the direction. <laughs> the direction you have given us, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this people. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you in Jesus' name. Love y'all.